Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Through the Moon Door. I'm back. It's been quite a while, but I am back at last. I know everyone has been anticipating this. Uh, show's been on a bit of a hiatus because of school stuff, but it being Pride Month, I could not pass up the opportunity to talk some gay stuff with a dear friend of the show. She's been on before in, in fact, what is the most downloaded episode of the podcast so far, episode seven. So I bring her back to get that clout. It's Rohan. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Yes. And if you have not listened to that episode, check it out. It is a, a psych, a, I'm a therapist, LOL. Um, so it's a therapist analysis of Jamie and Cersei's psychology and relationship. And it's really great. So listen to it. I'm yes, happy to be it, back. Thank you for having me back for Pride Month. Because actually, our the last episode evolved from this. Initially, our idea had been to talk about gay misrepresentation on Game of Thrones. And then Yogi was like, well, let's also talk about ships. I'm like, well, if we talk about ships, I'm going to have to talk about Jamie and Cersei. And that is a whole too much of a beast to fit. That's its own episode. So that's how we did that. So now we're back on the original uh, track. Yeah, we, we, we were just, we just postponed for Pride Month. And... Now there it is. It's June. It's Pride Month in, I think, most of the world except for the UK. And to celebrate this very special occasion, we will be talking about exactly what Rohan has just described. Gay representation in A Song of Ice and Fire and the show that uh, the books are based on. <laughs> <laughs> Game, known as Game of Thrones. Um, but before we get into all that, uh, I have some, some housekeeping to do. And it being Pride Month, I wanted to use the opportunity of having Rohan, which is who is a guest who always attracts a lot of viewers to the to the show, to plug something. Uh, my good, good, dear, dear friend and fellow Asworth nerd, Collia, who lives in the turf, health, turf hellscape island known as the UK, uh, recently started her transition GoFundMe fund. I will put the link to it into the description. So if you could please, please, please donate something, that would be wonderful. I know a lot of uh, people of the Aswa fandom have already contributed, like Mike of Clark from the Planetos podcast, uh, Leaf Underhill, and Low the Links. Many, many thanks to all of you. If some more people could donate, that would be really, really great. As I said, the link will be in the description. I will also put it on the... Uh, when, I when I tweet this episode out, it will also be there. Please, please, please donate. And I think that's already it. I don't think there's much more housekeeping to do, even though the show has been off for like two months. Let's just talk gay stuff yes and so obviously yogi you said talking about uh, queerness in the books that the show that were derived from the show as novelizations of the show and then also of the show um like remember i well oh no you're way younger than me so i don't know if you remember back when there used to be movies that came out in the 90s and they would come out with these novelizations where it'd be like here's the book version of the parent track 1997 but that, i love that they, I, they hired george r. r martin to do that really smart of them yeah. um but i think so basically i before this little pandemic thing happened um, Ice and Fire Con, I was supposed to hold, host a panel called Gaze of Thrones that was about queer readings of A Song of Ice and Fire because um, in my personal and community experience, queer people tend to be able to see, sort of have a very different lens on the series and see things that are not necessarily apparent to hetero eyes, blind eyes, I'll say. And, um, and so I really am interested in talking more about how, like, queer readings of the series 
However, this episode we've planned is to be more on the show and how the show tackles queerness because this is like pretty much the most popular TV show of all time. So I think it's important when something is this popular to think about how it tackles queerness. And of course, talking about the books is woven into that, but talking about queer readings of the book is of the books are really its whole a whole other beast to tackle on maybe some other episode or yeah we'll twenty twenty two yeah yeah I like that I'll you be there. I have my book I have my room booked that's true I, I like that you sneakily snuck in the title of the episode which I forgot to mention in the introduction Gaze of Thrones um, because we're we're doing this episode kind of flying by the seat of our pants uh, I didn't really have much time to prepare so yes the title of the episode is Gaze of Thrones though personally I wanted to call it the Queerwood Network. Mm. but uh i'll we'll save that for for the other one when we talk about the books i mean what more. i'm thinking is that and i said this to you earlier i'm thinking that queer fans in the fandom should just call ourselves the queerwood network as our little That's underground true. thing so it is now canon bing's gavel canon that's exactly right okay so now uh, if we're going to talk about obviously the the queer representation it should be i think mentioned that the george r, r. martin obviously started his book series in the late 90s which wasn't the greatest time for gay representation in any media not the worst time but also not great so uh, i think it's first of all we should say it's laudable that george r. r martin even included you know queer people in his books in the first place thanks thanks for throwing us that bone george we appreciate it um but of course we have to look him being an old white guy from uh, bayonne new jersey probably some some critical uh, reflection on his uh, his portrayal of mostly gay characters uh, there's some there's some gender stuff in there as well we should take a took a close look at it and then obviously the way the show adapted it uh, for the screen that's a whole different thing that was in the 2010s and uh, it was not well done spoiler alert we hate it <laughs> but we're going to get into that we're going to get into that in more detail <laughs> yeah i think what's interesting is that one way that I always try to entice show onlys to read the books is I tell them the books are actually pretty gay. There's a lot of queer content if you read closely between the lines. Um, and I think one thing that maybe we should get out of the way um, before we kind of dive into like the characters and stuff is that I think one big piece is that when we talk about queer representation, queerness and includes people who are TGNC, trans and gender nonconforming, um, and the show, the books actually approach this more than the show does. And this is one of those perfect examples where, as I was saying earlier, you kind of have to have queer eyes to pick up queer eyes for the George R. R. Martin guy to pick it up, to pick up on it. And um, because I think both um, Cersei and Brienne kind of exemplify characters with the most dysphoric relationship to their genders, but I see them, to use a phrase that we hear in the books, as kind of opposite sides of the same coin in terms of with their dysphoric relationships with gender in such opposing ways. Brienne really doing so kind of like with internal turmoil. And Cersei also has a ton of internal internal turmoil, which she takes out in external ways. However, the show does not really approach the idea of gender nonconformity or dysphoric feelings of gender besides like some women want to play with swords. And I get it because it's really though the Cersei and Brienne chapters, I mean, all the chapters, but those in particular in relation to their relationships with gender is very internal. And this is part of the struggle of adaptation of any, not of any book to screen is that you can't really transcribe interiority. And that's why adaptations of stream of consciousness type texts, such as um, 
Virginia Woolf's work fail so miserably because you just can't, it's really hard to visually depict interiority. So one, I think the kind of, I guess, elephant in the room is that gender non, like TGNC identity in ways that is explored in the books very much, that is a whole other topic, um, just isn't really touched on in the show in terms of the actual inner struggles that we see these characters have. Um, like, I think you could definitely do, like, trans readings of certain characters on the show, but it would be based on very stereotypical um, signifiers, the whole I'm not like other girls stuff of Brienne and Arya versus in the books, you, like, Arya does not have dysphoric feelings about her gender and is very, both Brienne and Arya are very compassionate about other women. So I think if you were to do a trans reading of, say, Brienne, um, or Cersei on the show, it would be very reductive because it would be like, oh, these women, like Brienne likes to play with swords or Cersei for inexplicable fucking reasons keeps her hair looking like Maria von, von fucking Trapp. So therefore, <laughs> because they're rejecting femininity, you could do a trans reading, which I think is, as I said, reductive versus when you read the books and you're really inside their heads and for both of them really experiencing the profound discomfort they have in their bodies um, is very different. Yes, and I, th I definitely agree with that. I also think part of why a lot of that gender trouble that Cersei and Brienne experience in the books doesn't really shine through in the show is because the showrunners, David Benioff and D.B. Wise, to give them their due, uh, they have this idea of, they have a very narrow idea of what it is to be a sort of like a badass woman. And they really try to go hard on that badass angle for Brienne and Cersei. And part of that, I think, to them means that they cannot show any vulnerability. And it is in the books, a lot of the scenes where, where this, this confusion and, and in Cersei's case, this like self-hatred, and in Brienne's case, more this feeling of not belonging, like she, not being a son or a daughter, this confusion doesn't really shine through because they, they made Brienne in the show very like a hard ass and very determined. And I think it really took away a lot from her from her character, despite I, I like Brienne in the show, um, Gwendolyn Christie, of course, wonderful, wonderful actress and everything. But yeah, I think that that's another aspect to this whole thing. Yeah, but I also some... definitely agree with the with the just the inner monologue is, is hard to translate to the, to the yeah. screen. Yeah, that's something that will come up when we discuss Asha Yara in terms of that's like a perfect example of D and D's very limited ideas of womanhood and their kind of misogyny. But yes, exactly. So we'll come back. Yes. We'll we'll circle back to that. Yeah, I totally forgot that. Asha was a lesbian in the show, but we'll we'll get to it. Ugh, we get we get to it. Um, I actually because what I also found interesting about what you said is this idea that we as queer people look at the books through a queer lens. But obviously, even I, as a queer dude, when I read these books, I I have my blind spots, you know. So I I reached out actually to my friend Collier, whose GoFundMe I mentioned earlier, and asked her, you know, to you as a trans woman, are there any characters in these books that you feel like speak to you on the, on that level. And she did say Brienne, mostly. Um, she she said not really because she considers Brienne to be like like a trans man or anything like that. It's more this like trans femininity where where Brienne presents as, as male and or she's perceived as presenting as male in the way she dresses and the way her body works. And it's that, that confusion of like society doesn't have a name for what I am. I'm not what people like Randall Tarly... <coughs> would consider to be like a son or what people would consider to be a daughter. It's this like in-between thing, this this confusion that is, I think, speaks to a lot of like trans people's experience in a way. 
Totally. And it's funny because I have a few friends who are trans who all really connect with Theon. For It's weird for like a similar reason, like because of the idea of him not really, there, he doesn't really have a space that he belongs in. He's not a Stark, he's not a Greyjoy. Um, and it's interesting talking to friends of mine who are trans, who I actually, even though his his journey doesn't have to do with sexuality and he's actually so misogynistic in so many ways. So I wouldn't yep. say that he's a queer character doing a queer reading, but I can understand why for the reasons you've mentioned before, he resonates with que- uh, with queer readers for sure. Yeah. And so I think we find something different that speaks to how we find something different and connect with characters differently. Yeah, we can empathize with that sense. I mean, not just trans people, but queer people in general. We can really empathize with, char- with characters who feel like the society in which they live in doesn't have a name or a place for them to be themselves. And that's certainly true for Theon. And it's also definitely true for Brienne. And for Cersei as well, if you if you think about it. So now to get into the books, of course, we're going to go over some of the characters who are confirmed as queer, theorized to be queer. I have a couple of those. Uh, I actually asked my friend Collier <laughs> to name me some. And uh, she said Balon Swan, which I never thought about. But she says because he's so unresponsive to Ariane's... Um, flirtations she thinks he might be immune maybe <laughs> she's a, not yeah, his type a gay, a gay shield maybe maybe i would love for him to have a gay shield of protection against all that stuff <laughs> but you never know um and then again with that being said orders like the the, the king's guard or the night's watch i think or like the citadel are really places where we huh brotherhood brotherhood without banners oh yeah yeah, yeah. i was gonna say brotherhood like, without like women. <laughs> i mean hello Yes, I was going to say that these are places, if, we're, if you're going to look for gay men, I feel like these orders where it's like, you swear about celibacy, there's no ladies around, especially places like the Lights Watch, I think can be really attractive options for like a gay man to be, because it's like, I'd never be expected to marry, I'd never be expected to have kids. The vows don't technically prohibit gay sex, it says I shall take no wife, father, no children, we'll talk about that later, hashtag Elf of, Elf of Runnymud and uh, Gareth Greyfeathers, <laughs> gay icons. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's like uh, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the maesters have a bit of a queer coding going on for them, uh, especially the one that's sent with uh, with Victarion. He's, he's, supposed, he's like described as like being girly, uh, but though talking about him like as like a gay man or possibly gay man, is a bit of an iffy territory because he obviously gets assaulted by by Victarion's men, which is a whole it's like a, a different thing that we shouldn't probably get into. But also, there's like Pylos; they just have that sort of like the a lot of the maesters don't fit that manly man kind of kind of image that Westeros has. They're allowed to be like weak and and a bit more sensitive and soft spoken. And I think that's probably something that's appealing to like if you're a gay man, you might as well go to the Citadel, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, just as in most, like, spaces where there's one gender, people are usually fucking one another. That's probably happening in the Night's Watch. I mean, Thoros and Beric, hello, life partners, <laughs> throughout multiple <laughs> lives. Um, yes. So, yeah, and I think the maesters as well, for sure. It's, like, an option for people, especially, I mean, Sam is not queer, um, but, or maybe he's attracted to men, we don't know, but he's with a woman. Uh, in, I yeah. mean, in with a woman in the worst scene ever but um it, it's not the, it's not the worst her cunt became the world is the worst but anyways um, we'll, we'll get to that we'll get, we'll to, get that. to that that's but, next episode yes but so um <laughs> so i think with especially the maesters you're i think you make a great point that you're all 
all the like things about masculinity that are upheld as the way you're supposed to be a man, you actually can escape as a maester. And so it's a really good option, not just for, I mean, I, this is really going far, but like not just necessarily for gay men, but also maybe men who are not, who don't identify as, or would not think of themselves maybe as cisgender because they don't have to perform masculinity in the same way. Um, yeah. And it's all also brings up a can't, well, I would say it's canon, but it's not confirmed, but it is confirmed, about one character who is part of the queer canon is Cirella slash Alaris. Alaris. Who Alaris. we don't get in the show, but again, I don't, and this will be a common theme, we talk about confirmed book characters, I don't mind that they weren't in the show because they would have fucked it up. So it's yes. like, yeah. And I also think it's pretty well. much everything. Of, I mean, like maybe in those scenes where Sam's in like med school, um, they could have... <laughs> had them pop up but like why especially considering that they are darker skinned it would have i think contributed to the fetishization of people of color on the show um so yeah, i am yeah. not sad that the, the character who was really cool was not included who was for those of you who need a refresher um they are if this is true which it is um it one of Oberyn's is. daughters who um is at the Citadel, disguised as a man who, and Lo, our friend Lo, who you can find at Lo the Links on Twitter and their kind of general essays, has written a lot about this character and how you can, how we should not jump to assuming that somebody who's cross-dressing is only doing so for their own safety, but might also prefer living in the, the other gender. Yeah, that's, that's something I really like about Lo's approach to analysis of a lot of these things. Because it's always people saying, well, you know, Sorella... She just needs to disguise herself because she's spying. And you can say, yes, and maybe she also just enjoys mm -hmm. presenting as male because right. that's much, it's more comfortable for her or them. Right. You know? And, and that's a, that is this like improvisational comedy thing of yes and rather than no, I think is a very useful thing when, I when analyzing that. this. I started that. So I am a dialectical, well, I'm not strictly a dialectical behavior therapist, but one of the modalities I practice is dialectical behavior therapy. And in my um, Cersei psychology analysis with Amy, I brought that up. And now we've all kind of started, like, because in dialectical behavior therapy, one of the big lessons in it is about holding a dialectic, holding multiple truths at once, and how to basically mod whatever you're going to say yes but, using yes and instead. And I feel like ever since I said it with Amy, I'm hearing you all, like, say it more, which is cool. <laughs> yes and. Yes. It's the same way with, like, Brienne. Yes, Brienne can be a woman who also wants to be a knight. Yes, and maybe she also just, you know, maybe there's a bit of gender confusion non-conformity going on two thing two things can be true at the same time but yeah so uh sorella alaris not technically i would say confirmed uh, i mean definitely not confirmed to be queer in any way but confirmed to be like you know alaris is confirmed to be sorella pretty much and then we have people like um john conning kind of toes that line because we have georgia R. martin's confirmation that there is a gay pov in a dance with dragons and, like, who else would it be? It's not going to be Ario Hota. Melisandre! <laughs> well, I mean, did he say at least one or just one? Well, he said one, but what? room for more. So, so yeah, of course. And I, I mean, John Connington has a dad, big Jonathan. old boner for Rhaegar Targaryen. It's I don't think. Ambiguous. No, it really isn't. But what I always appreciated about, about John Connington is that he is not likable. Or, like, he's not a protagonist. He is a bit of, like, a grumpy douche who just also happens to be gay. Yes. So it's it's not this thing where you, like, you have to, like, 
George R. R. Martin isn't like shoving it in your face. Hey, look at me. I have a gay character who's like super cool and nice. And oh, look how great gay people are. It's like, oh, some people are gay. And they're also just, you know, just as big a douchebag as anyone else in, in Dance with Dragons. I mean, he which also I does have a gay character who's the best character ever with Blackfish, but it's less. Um, so he does <laughs> have true. that. And I actually kind of, Haloki, you know how the Blackfish just swam away? We don't know where he is. I have this like fantasy or headcanon. I ship it that he's gonna like swim to Griffin's Roost or wherever he is now, wherever John Khan is, and like teach John Khan ways of abandon this vengeance. We're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> they're both gingers. They're both gingers. They're gonna fall in ginger love. It's gonna yeah. be great. But yeah, I think with John Khan, it's interesting because I'll talk more about this when we talk about show Loris, which is that I think a lot <sighs> of people are like, um, is like, are kind of feel that oh, we have to only have positive depictions of LGBTQ characters. Like, they, oh, they have to be nice. So they might see John Khan as like, oh, well, it's negative that we have, like, a guy who's going to do war crimes. But I'm like, be gay, do war crime. I don't know. Um, I think that, like, I think <laughs> that it's actually... Be gay, do war crime. Be gay, do war crime. Also Cersei. Um, but I think yes. that, like, I think that he's not a straight-up villain at all. Like, I don't no. see him. When everyone call a lot of people in the fandom call him, like, Tywin-esque, I don't really think so. I think that he's... I mean, he's wannabe. Like, he wants to be Tywin-esque, but he really isn't. Yeah, I really empathize. I love John Khan. I call him, him my gay... Well, him and the Blackfish are my gay dads. But the Blackfish more he's my third favorite character in the whole series. But John wow. Khan's my gay dad. I love him so much because as a redhead who always fall has unrequited crushes on heterosexual blondes that just that's me, like that speaks to me it's my life so what i love about john con is that he really captures the gay unrequited love the un- the love as oscar wilde said the love that dare not speak its name um because especially and so i think that he's a really wonderful addition to the series for that reason because he's showing a complex gay character who also isn't like Okay, another character we'll speculate on is Sadden, who I love, who we all love. Um, we're I wouldn't call that this speculation. Yeah, Sadden Sam Nation right here, me and Yogi. But um, yes. However, like you know, that's more of the like Limfris stereotype versus John Con and same but, with the yeah. Blackfish are these like warriors, and it's like as I said, be gay do war crime. Like that's breaking a stereotype. So um, so I really love John Con, and once again to repeat myself. I don't, I mean, I do actually, he, him, I do wish was on the show because, uh, because they didn't adapt the last two books and they should have. So like eliminating John Con and Young Grift, um, yeah. just t- makes Danny's plot, makes no sense, etc. However, they probably would have, like, if they hadn't just had some like fantasy of him having, like, he has a flashback where he fantasizes about shaving Rhaegar's chest. I feel like they would have just gone that direction and yes. I don't mind not seeing it. Uh, that's my thing. I really think that the the John Con Aegon thing. It's like, of course, I would have loved to see it because it really is important to Daenerys' storyline. But on the other hand, it's like uh, we talked about this thing where, like, thank God they didn't adapt some of these queer characters because it's like I'd rather be not represented than misrepresented. I think misrepresentation does a lot more harm than just not being in there at all. But if they had, like, if it's da- it's it's David Benioff and DB Weiss, if they'd had John Con in the show, they would have had him like wank to a, a picture of Rhaegar in like his first scene, just because they were afraid people wouldn't get it. They so literally it's, it's... his sex was that would have been his sex position. Would have yeah. been like like you would have met him. It would have been like a slow pan to like. Well, they don't show dick unless it's Hodor, but they would have showed like a hand <laughs> slowly like moving, and then it's like shows a picture like a drawing of Rhaegar. It's like that would have been our introduction. Or so maybe it would have been out. like some like lice scene. 
uh, sex worker who like looks like yes, a, like, yes. some fucked up shit. Oh, like do that. you don't know who? You know what? No, they wouldn't have been fucking Oliver because he's the only gay male. That's true. Worker. Yeah, he would have had sex had, with Oliver. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. what they would have done is the way they would have introduced John Con would they would have had this this redhead guy, older rough man, walk into the, the brothel and then be like find Oliver, make him put on a silver wig and like play the harp for him. And that would have been our John Con introduction. Yeah. If 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 you're 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 not gay in Game of Thrones unless you've had sex with Oliver, the, like, the random he's, he's, sex you, worker. For anyone who's watched the L word, he's the Shane McCutcheon of Westero of, of gay men in Westeros. I I mean that guy is I mean he earned his paycheck. Yeah, well, we'll talk about him when we talk about the show. We will yes. talk about him. Yeah, he yeah. understood the assignment. He did. He did, and uh, he was very successful. Okay, so we got yeah John Con of course, and it's interesting that you brought up uh, Brendan Blackfish because. I always saw. I always saw that. Uh, well, I saw. I always like heard about or read about a lot of uh, ace people emphasize with Brendan because they actually think that he might be just asexual and just doesn't want to get married or have sex with anyone because we don't really hear about him having any partners uh, at all, uh, unless you have something that I'm not aware of. But I'm not really. I don't think we ever got any indication that he shows any interest in like men as well. So that could also be a thing. Well, I think the key is when you just said we don't hear about him having other partners. Who would we be hearing about it from? He be, he's mostly in cat chapters. So, I mean, actually, speaking of Night's Watch, my one of my best friends um, wrote a really good fanfic. We have we have this whole headcanon that him that Corin him and Corin Halfhand had some romance, and that's why Corin was sent to the Wall, um, as if gay activity wouldn't flourish there. Um, but. But yeah, I think, yeah, we don't hear about it. The reason that I, and I think it's totally valid for ace people to see themselves in him and Stannis for sure. Um, oh yeah, but, like Stannis is much more confirmed to be, I think, asexual. Well, because Stannis, he like bristles at the idea of any sort of physical intimacy, which again, ace people don't necessarily have to, they don't have to bristle at the thought of any intimacy. Also but, true. Um, but he, he does have sex with Melisandre. For, a, for a, it's a utilitarian though. And we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of vague-ish, but I, I also think he doesn't, particularly enjoy it right i don't think either of them do and we'll talk about that but like um but basically with brendan tully the reason that i read him as gay and the reason that he is so dear to my heart as a queer person is because with his whole story really reflects kind of the path that queer people have been on and have been progressing on so basically and also so you have his relationship with his brother hoster and the reason i read him as queer as opposed to ace is because hoster finds something about Brynden that's like this unnameable thing so intolerable it's not just that Brynden refuses to marry it really reflects back to me um as of this recording the last girls gone canon episode that came out was about the final Catelyn a Game of Thrones chapter in which Hoster's on his fucking deathbed being like but Brynden won't marry the red wine girl and then Brynden she goes to Brynden he's like he's gonna break up the fucking red wine girl isn't she and he's like she's like yeah but so I think that there's something about Brynden's core identity that is so intolerable to Hoster in the way that there's something about queer kids or queer relatives that to their relatives is so like intolerable it's not just like if Brynden was just like I just I'm not really interested in people period Hoster would probably be like annoyed and angry but there's something about the quality of his anger that feels very pointed in terms of identity and so then building on that what I really find liberating and powerful and amazing about him, my dad, is that um, is that he he's called the black goat or the is black goat right black, black sheep, sheep whatever black sheep, um, and then this is literally a parallel to the reclamation of the word queer 
is that he then says, you know what, I'm going to embrace this and actually like use this as my like my whole identity and how I signify myself in the world. So he's actually parading in a way his status as an outsider and it's coming from the fact that he won't marry. And the reason that I read him as a queer icon is for that because he is reclaiming and celebrating himself in the same way that queer people have. And I find that very powerful and moving. And I mean, we don't get that on the show. We, I mean, he's on the show, but I don't, again, like, I feel like a lot of things that make him a queer icon in the books aren't necessarily translatable because they just only have so much time. They couldn't really go in that much into the rift between him and mm-hmm. Foster. Mm-hmm. The one moment that I really, they don't even, I'm not positive. You can probably confirm. They don't even talk about why he's called the blackfish, right? They just call him that. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you off the top yeah. of my head. But I think it's sure. probably brought up that he's unmarried. I think. Well, what comes to mind is the only moment I love is when they go to the phrase on that, you know, everything goes great after that. They go to visit the phrase, they have a fun time, and in season three, and there's this one moment where a bunch of, there's the phrase women are lined up, and they look, they all like give him eyes, like goggly eyes, and he just looks away in disgust, and that is a beautiful moment that I adore. And I think we're meant to read it as, oh, because they're ugly, he doesn't like him, but having the book context gives it a whole other dimension. Yeah, and also, I mean, I, I, oh, sorry, oh, you go no. on. No, I was just going to say I agree with all of that. I just wanted to add the like little caveat at the end of saying that. Uh, well, I, I love everything you said, but obviously, all that like that like violent rejection, the way that Hoster is is expressing, mm-hmm. is something I feel also ace people often experience. Mm-hmm. It's this idea like what you don't you, what like it's it's this thing where like. You you can kind of get shit from both camps, like right from the gays and the straights, where it's like, right. what do you mean you don't weirdo? You know, so I think it's it's a uh, he can be. It's I think it's a great thing that it's that it's subtle because if you're ace, if you're if you're if you're gay, whatever, you can you can make him your icon if you want to. He can be your queer icon for the aces or or, or the gays. Yeah, and that's again, it's LG. That's why you're saying queer. Sometimes that just LGBTQ to include ace people there too. Also, yes, I think, and another important. another thing though that points to me for queerness is that we were just talking about how men will gravitate towards all male spaces to kind of escape marriage. I mean, hello, he goes to become this like war hero in all male spaces with tents full of men. Who knows what's going on there? Yeah. Jamie thought yeah, it was yeah. going on there. That's another. I mean, I read book Jamie is totally queer in terms of how he, I call him Jamie sometimes with my friends as a joke. Um, <laughs> and that's something they have to take out because you know we can't have like our hero have like longing oh, no, for their no, men. No, 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 but I mean, they straight yeah. they straight watch both Lannisters, but again for the best, which we'll talk about later. Yes, but that's just I think something that's really important to emphasize that ace people are absolutely, of course, also mm-hmm. part of the queer community. And it's an entirely valid reading of, of that character. I always more lean to the A side. I really like your your uh, thing about the reclaiming of the the slur, so to speak. It which is it's all great, great, great. So that's the that's Blackfish covered. Now we're kind of I mean you always be Satin. Satin's he's he's gay. There's no there's no. I mean there is that also caveat because George R. Martin cannot just give us something uncomplicated. Of course, with Satin we have the problem that he was born in a brothel. So he was raised to be a male sex worker. It, it's not really a case where he could, he might as well be straight and he still would have had a lot of sex with men. It's just with him, it's like this whole thing with like he perfume, he like combs perfume into his beard. He's got that like twink look. We get a lot of how John talks about how he, he, he how attractive he is and stuff like that. And I think definitely this is what, what um, George is hinting at. But I, again, I felt we should add that caveat. Born and raised to be a male sex worker, didn't really have a choice. Could be straight, 
he definitely isn't. John and Saturn for life. Uh, and speaking speaking well, of the I mean, Night's Watch... I think also a point to add oh, there yeah. is maybe to add to that caveat, he could continue to perfume himself and such because that's just what he's raised to do. But yeah. yeah. Um, and yet also John is totally bisexual. This is what a king should look like, he thought, looking at Jamie. All about how beautiful <laughs> oh, sad yeah. it is. But I mean, not only did they take that out for the show, they took out his whole fucking personality. So, <sighs> I mean, so it's like, again... Yeah, any. I mean, they straight uh, off pretty much all the queer characters besides yeah. then making Asha Yara gay and then Loris Renly, but we'll talk about that. Maybe I really, I really would have hoped to. I mean, again, they probably would have fucked it up, uh, but I would have liked some satin in there. Give, give me Ezra Miller; they would have been a great satin. Yeah, especially but, instead of Ollie. Well, actually, I'm not instead of Ollie because I wouldn't have wanted satin to stab him. But yeah, <laughs> unless yeah. it was stab in the metaphorical sense. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Okay, now I was talking about the uh, the Night's Watch, right? I, I talked about earlier how I think a lot of gay dudes gravitate to the Night's Watch because it's like thinking back to like my like teenage gay self. It's like, man, if there was a place like far up north where you never have to marry anyone, you never have to have kids. It's just it's not even is it not expected of you? It's forbidden. Hell yeah, I'm gonna go. To, of course, you're surrounded by a bunch of dudes who like drain drain with thoughts every day. Hell yeah, it's a great place. Which brings me to my, uh, my, which is far less confirmed, though heavily hinted at. I would like to thank Micah from the Planet Earth podcast for reminding me of, of these lovely people. Alf of Runnymud and his husband, Gareth. Um, no, Garth. Garth Greyfeather. Why are they gay? Well, it's mostly just because there's a lot of like hints in the text that they have a really, really close relationship again caveat it's perfectly fine for two straight men to have a really really intense emotional relationship frodo and sam are not gay i'm sorry what in the no they're not in the movie in the movies they are at least you can read it that way definitely yeah yeah yeah. because ian mckellen is like there's like interviews with ian mckellen where he's like on set he like reminded uh Sean Aston to like take Frodo's hand because it's in the book and there's like an interview where he talks about like you know I just wanted to throw the gays a bone like he literally just so thank you Ian McKellen for keeping the gay energy high at the set of Lord of the Rings Th- that being said um, <laughs> Alpha of Runnymud and, and uh, G- uh, G- Garth Greyfeathers they are just they, they hang out all the time and when Gar- Gar- Garth Jesus I keep fucking up his name when Garth dies beyond the wall it's like it says like Alf lets like this cry of anguish and he's so upset that he has to like be like drugged with dream wine and taken to his room. And this is again, if they were straight, it would still be fine and totally a totally valid emotional reaction. I just like to think that they're gay because I want some gay people in my books. <laughs> so yeah. And then Alf later, of course, to, to go back to that whole thing about how even the gays can be villains, he's one of the people, it's theorized, who stab Jon Snow. Presumably because Jon Snow sent his husband to die beyond the wall. Perfectly valid. I'm with you, Elf. You know, Jon fucked up. Yeah, and I think also up. to speak to your point of like, you know, men, plenty, like they don't not necessarily gay, but you want them because you want representation. Why does why can we read any characters queer? Because we fucking want to. We don't need a reason. We've had straight cis hat characters forced on us forever. So we could make whoever we want queer. And this is very different. Sometimes I hate when people, I see people do this with like celebrities and that's annoying as hell because we shouldn't project stuff on celebrities. But with fictional characters, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care. Do what you want. Like we need, we have so little representation. Like I remember um, a few years ago, 
on Twitter, I kind of got into an argument. Somebody, I don't know, I was posting, I said something about how I think that Asha and Val should be girlfriends. And, um, <laughs> and someone responded saying that that was immoral because they've never met. And I, it was a cishet man. And I was like, do you realize that we have no representation? So, like, we have to get it from where we can. And the fact that, and also I'm like, Ned and Catelyn didn't meet before they became a couple. And we all <laughs> love them together. I mean, even though actually when you think about it, it is fucked up. So, yeah. But like, up, yeah. I'm not being like, yes, let's have them be in an arranged marriage. It's like, I think that their energy would work together. That's sexy. Yeah. And then being told by cishet men that, like, that's immoral because they've never met. I'm like. Please try living a like a day in my life where you have like where you don't have representation. Yeah. And like and not only with not only within the media, but even in my own life. I mean, I literally got like semi dumped, it's complicated, by someone last week for being not for because they said, Oh, I actually don't like I actually am not into feminine girls. You know, like which is interesting because in the media we see queer women, they're usually feminine. Um, and butch women don't actually really have representation. But even within the queer community, actually mm. butch women and femme women both get shit upon. Um, but I actually feel a lot of solidarity with butch women, um, despite being femme presenting, because really people are looking for kind of what's in the center. And like to be on either end of it is seen as like wrong in some way. But like, that's a digression. But anyways, like, yeah, we have to do things like create fan fiction and make crack shifts because without crack shifts and fan fiction, we don't have content. Um, and the lack of understanding I see about that is pretty astounding. I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Also, it's not like you said that they should get forced to marry, just that they would be a great couple if they met. Yes. Like, yeah, so it's, uh, uh, and then let's not get into that bullshit. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's like, um, we've, so far we've covered a lot of the, of the, the queer characters that did not make it into the show. Again, thankfully. We had Sorella Alaros, we had Saturn, we had Alpha of Runnymud, and uh, Gar- Gar- oh my God, Garth Greyfeathers. And there is a. I saw you on the list that you provided me. You also said Tana Merriweather. Yeah, I mean, I, we could probably save her to the Cersei discussion about Cersei's depiction on the show. But I mean, oh, yeah. again, yeah. Tana is actually, again, someone who I read as manipulative and not necessarily even actually interested in Cersei sexually. And that's I my she, reading as well. Yeah. So that, again, would not necessarily make a good. Like, I'm really glad that that whole shenanigan did not get put on screen because it would have been done so poorly yes. and it would have been like yes, Pornhub yes, yes, yes. when it's one of the most, the mirror swamp part, as infamous as it is, is also for me, coming from a therapist and trauma-informed therapist perspective, by far one of the most complex psychological moments of the whole series. And this show just can't really do justice to much psychological complexity, no. especially when it comes to gender, especially when it comes to the idea of like envying malehood in a way that isn't girl boss. So, um... Mm, so tight mm. so i guess within so yeah i mean i guess we might as well go into this discussion now which is that i mean there's no to me and a lot of people argue with this but argue to the fucking wall um to me cersei is canon bisexual the way that she and i've talked about this new too many other places but if you want i won't go into it because i've talked about it too much elsewhere but um if you want the full discussion it's on the learned hands podcast the episode let's talk about sex part two i believe it is about 13 minutes in off the top of my head but anyways that's where i discussed that's very why. precise yes i know i remember the north remembers but um but so basically the way what it boils down to is that the way in which she thinks about taina 
is not how straight people think about other women. It is how I thought about other women and thought that was like normal to do until I realized it wasn't when I was young. Um, and also it's the way that only male characters tend to think about women in the books. Like when women think about other women in the books, like even when you have Catelyn talking at like Jean, Jane's hips, don't lie, um, they <laughs> it's in a way that's not really sexualizing the other woman in the way that Cersei does. And like she, I like she, I'm sorry, she's just bisexual, and she's in denial. The reason she's in denial of it, she rationalizes it, rationalizes it as I'm just trying to be like Robert. I'm just trying to see what Robert was like for Robert. I'm trying to be like a man. But we all, like pretty much every queer woman I've spoken to who's read the books, really relates to that aspect of Cersei where she's trying to rationalize her attraction to women because she doesn't know how to make sense of it. Like I know in my experience, yeah. I just did not really know. Well, a lot of my earliest crushes like Ginger Spice and Vanessa Redgrave and Camelot, I didn't actually, I hadn't had crushes in general. I was very young, like preteen. So I didn't know what a crush was really or what it felt like. So I thought to myself like, well, you know, when you're thinking about this woman all the time, it just didn't occur to me that that was a crush. But now that I've had crushes, I'm able to look back and recognize that it was. So I think that because she doesn't have the framework for what it is to desire another woman, she writes it off as part of her kind of like dysphoric relationship with gender and wanting mm -hmm. power. And unfortunately, the fandom does that as well. But I will, yeah. I've talked about that in other places. I will talk about that in more other places. But anyways, so that is to say that I, because the show very much made Cersei into someone who like is kind of reduced to her womb in certain ways um and just being a mother and then kind of once she loses her children it's like she no longer has a soul she can only wear black she could her hair just <laughs> stopped growing um yeah they, they really went with that whole oh she just that's her thing she Disney loves does. her children which if you read the books she really kind of doesn't mm -hmm. like she and was weirdly obsessed with Joffrey but she's Horrible to Tom, and she doesn't really think about him all that much. My favorite example of this is when she learns that Marcella has been possibly like almost killed, and she thinks her first thought is, "But she was so pretty." Yeah, um, yeah, that's like me. Like, and this is, I, and this is what I love about Cersei is that she actually like her parenting is so like bad. I actually love it about her. Whereas in the show, they tried like for one key example is in season one this is where we should have known things were gonna oof, go off the rails the um, warning signs one, were there <laughs> there's the scene that kills me where she walks into catelyn's room which could have such catsy potential which is catelyn slash cersei fic i know um, what you're going to talk the about cat, oh, yes the catsy potential but anyways instead of fucking what they did was um cersei talked about how she had a child by robert who she miscarried this beautiful black-haired boy <sighs> and that's for us and for Catelyn, meant to engender sympathy for her. So they're always like, and the thing is, I actually think that's valid in the sense that Cersei uses her position as a mother to try to engender sympathy for herself, both in books and the show. But it goes to show what their approach to Cersei was, especially given that canonically, my favorite passage in the whole series is um, about 10,000 of your heirs perished in your palm, my grace, where she 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 makes sure, she goes to great lengths to make sure she would not get pregnant by Robert. So the idea that she's sad that she didn't have his child is just not, that's not Cersei. And it goes to show from the beginning how they weren't depicting her. So I think that because yes. they didn't know, even though Lena Headey, she's still by far, I think, the most interesting character on the show, um, and Lena Headey gives the best performance on it. However, um, because they just didn't know how to approach her outside the role of like mother and girl boss, they could not have approached sexuality sensitively, especially, or in a nuanced way, not sensitive way. But I think especially given just their approach to sex generally and how exploitative it was, it would have been a mess. And so even though 
I, one of the things that I value so much about Cersei is her bisexuality and also like kind of gender trouble. I don't, again, don't, I'm glad, I don't mind that it wasn't put onto the show because it would have been botched because we saw how it was botched when they did translate sexuality onto the show. Yeah, I think especially that, that scene with Cersei and Taina is one of the scenes where I'm the most glad that it wasn't in the show. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have that angle from Cersei, which is, as you said, what trips a lot of people up who sort of recoil when you say that Cersei is bisexual, because obviously the first thing they go to is Mirror Swamp. And that scene, I would argue, and you maybe disagree with me, is I don't consider that to be a like a sex scene even. Because Cersei is not out for pleasure. She wants to feel that dominance that Robert felt when he assaulted her. And Cersei makes it re- very clear that she was raped by Robert. So for her to think while she's like fingering Taina to be like, it was no good. And, and thinking about how she didn't feel like what Robert must have felt. So I, I would definitely say that, that I don't consider that to be like like a queer sex scene. This is like Cersei trying, and like this is Taina pretending to like it because she's being paid by Varys to do so or by some other person. And Cersei trying to get that dominance that it's part of this like gender trouble. I want to feel like Robert, this, this, this power that men have over, over women. And, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean, though, that she's still... This is, this is, again, yes, and... Or we have still have all these other instances of Cersei, as you said, the way she looks at women, the way she, she constantly thinks about Tana and how attractive she is and stuff like that. So it, is, it could be one of those things where she doesn't have the lens, the framework, just because it's not something that society really encourages. And so it's, it's like warped, but it's still, it's still there. So that's, I just wanted to make that clear again. You can say Cersei's bisexual without and still acknowledge that the scene between her and Tana wasn't a, a sex scene or, 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 or like, a, like a, a bisexual sex scene or something like that, which yeah. I certainly don't think it's a sex I scene. I certainly don't read it as a love scene. And I do not, I personally do not think that rape scenes are sex scenes because rape is not sex. And the yes. reason that, what I would push back on, I guess, is that I think a lot of sex, and I'm also coming from a bit of a femdom perspective myself, that a lot of sex is about power. Sex is about power. I mean, that's just in within our world and Westeros, but our world too. Sex is about, lar- and I don't think this is healthy. I wish, I would hope for some sort of utopia thing where sex is about more than power. But I think a part of why people recoil from the Cersei Taina scene is because she's approaching it as a conquest, as something to be, as like a prize to be gotten. And the thing is, and people don't like to think about sex that way. People want to think about sex as romantic and beautiful and driven by love and passion. But for a lot of, but they're not just, but actually including a lot of people who have been abused, sex is about power. And for Cersei, that is because, just because her drive for sexuality, not just with Taina, but with a lot of other people she has sex with, is motivated by power and needing to get something, it's read as not valid in terms of desire. And I think yeah. that her desire for Taina does, even if it's also desire for power, I think desire for Taina does drive that sex scene. And the thing is that people are made very uncomfortable by thinking about the fact that some people, especially women, want to have sex in order to feel powerful and to feel like they've, as she says, claimed their rights. And like, for me, I do know that I don't, I'm not a rapist, thankfully. I mean, I don't believe, but um, I, there are definitely times where I have, I definitely myself think about sex as kind of like a game and a contest. Like I am not gonna lie, like a bit of a slut. And I have had, I've been like, I kind of am like, I'm gonna sleep 
and this is like my own stuff that I've worked on therapeutically where I'm like I'm gonna sleep with as many people as possible because it's like a game almost type of thing it's like it makes me feel powerful um so there so I think that is a valid approach to sexuality but it makes people very uncomfortable when it comes from women and yeah. I think that's a lot of where the revulsion for that scene comes from is that well we don't want to see this as desire because this is about conquest but a lot of people do pro approach sex as conquest and that's but we don't want to think about it yeah I mean, it just speaks, I think it, part of it, it just speaks to George R. Martin that he, he does make it very complicated for us. And that's, that's a good thing. Like we're having, we're having discussions about these things and it's important. And actually this is relevant to me because uh, recently, jokingly on Twitter, I, I, I was like, oh, should I do an episode of the podcast where I rank all the sex scenes from like the, the worst to the least worst? And people are like, yeah, that's so funny. Do that, do that. And I also asked people which, which scene they think is the least bad one. And a lot of people said it was the, um, a lot of people thought the least bad one was Carl, the maid, and Asha, even though it has the infamous, her cunt became the world line. And a lot of people actually, there, there was someone who commented, who was like, isn't that like a rape kink scene? So it, like, like the, again, this recoiling, and I thought, this is not, I mean, Asha and Carl is, is you know, straight sex, but we can still briefly talk about it. Because I was thinking, if I'm actually going to do this, like a, a kind of like a lighthearted episode, where I rate George's infamously kind of cringy sex scenes on how cringe they are. Which of the scenes would I even include? And it was like, obviously, I'm not going to talk about Khal Drogo and Danny in, in Game of Thrones, because that was rape, because she was 13. So that's that's pretty clear-cut case. And then you have stuff like Tane and Cersei, which, again, I said, I don't really consider that to be a sex scene. I think that was Cersei's way of... of, of what I said earlier. But but yeah, it's, it's, it's more open to discussion. And then with Khal and Asha... Uh, I always read that as like, even though it comes off on page really like weird and uncomfortable, to me it, it always read like this is like a routine that they've done like a lot of times before. To me, it never felt like there was any part in this, even the parts where it really seems like it, that this was like not something that they've done a million times before, basically. These yeah. are like, this is like what they always go through. So I would consider that to be a sex scene. I wouldn't have no trouble with that because also Asha never like afterwards... She never thinks about how I can't believe Carl, my childhood, like, or not childhood, my teenage, like, lover assaulted me like that. She doesn't think of it like, like that. Yeah, so and I think in the same way that I was saying before that we can't just gloss over the fact that for a lot of people, sex is about power and acquiring power. Although a lot of people do have rape fantasies and it doesn't necessarily mean they want to be raped. And I, I wish that it wasn't George writing it. I don't like, I hate that scene because of the line you mentioned and because I just think it's badly written. Um, I don't, yeah. but I think it's, out like i think it's also important to just depict that women aren't it's tough because george is the writer and his work is so filled with sexual yeah. assault if this was like the one sort of rapey scene in a series where that wasn't present it would feel different but because it's such mm. a pattern for him that's why it feels different i'm like can you write one set can you it's, it's just so hard for him to write something that doesn't have any shades of non-con not john con maybe you can get a john con, <laughs> a, con a john con con scene a consensual john con yeah scene but um, yeah it's that's that's what's going to make that episode about because it was supposed to be oh it's going to be funny i'm going to le read all the cringy sexy and stuff and there's some scenes where it's obviously consensual like sam and gilly mm -hmm. or like uh, aris okard and ariane and stuff like that but then you have the stuff with like carl and asha you don't want to like offend people and i don't want to be like you know the resident uh, cis guy. I don't want to be the one who decides what's the rape and what isn't rape. Right. And so, 
Sorry, dangerous what? ground, dangerous ground. But but yeah, I'm gonna have to work that out before I make that episode. Well, <laughs> Probably have to get a good also, guess. Also, what we were just talking about now kind of is got to speak kind of sort of goes into a good conversation about the depiction of Daenerys on the show. Um, because we were oh, just yeah. talking about this that when you were bringing up Taina and it was just doing this because she's either being played by Varys or it's what she feels odd. like you can't really say no to somebody who has a lot of power. Um, I actually don't really mind the way they adapted the Daenerys um, sex on the female se- women sex, the male sex, whole other thing. But um, I don't really mind the way they depicted it on the show because it actually, and I know a lot of Danny stands who disagree and are like, yes, she's so bisexual. Her sex scenes with women in the books kind of make me uncomfortable as a fel- as a lesbian because mm. queer- even I'm not always a lesbian, just a queer woman because I think like she and Cersei does this too. Like so, Cersei pictures herself as a man, but Danny the whole time like is picturing this isn't in the book one; it's in one of the other ones. Um, when she has yeah. sex with Eerie, she's picture she's trying to picture Eerie as a man or as Dario, and I feel like she's almost. I, I like Danny as a character. I actually, unlike a lot of people in the fandom, I think she is at heart a very good person and I'm rooting for her. I'm rooting for you, Danny. But, um, but I, that scene makes me uncomfortable because Eerie can't really say no. That's her, that she's Danny's servant. Yeah. And so I feel like Danny's just kind of using it. It kind of reminds, it's like reverse situation of my own life. There have been certain times where I've been at parties and like dance part more the debaucher's type and i can't find any girl to make out with so there will be some guy who flirts with me and i just am drunk enough i'm like give in i'm just like fine like it's i just need to get touched and i'm gonna pretend it's a woman like it's a mouth is a mouth as you said so it kind (laughs) of reminds me of that in a way where she's almost like settling and but except in this case the other person can't really say no so i think on the show i mean i haven't watched this scene in a while but there's a scene where eerie is te- basically teaching her how to love. In the way I know that, that that's Dorea. The, the, oh, Dorea is yeah. the one that was hired to... It's complicated because in the books, it's Dorea who's hired to teach her to please Khal Drogo. And I think the first time she gets like... Like one of her one of her handmaids gets her off. It's also Dorea, but then later it's always Eerie. Or maybe it's always Eerie. I don't remember, but... but yeah, like in that scene in, in the show, it was Doria who she who she was right. practicing with for Khal Drogo. And... Like in the show, yes, was it used? Like if it if it were not for the books, I'd be like, oh, this is total bait just to turn men on. But mm. it happened in the books, and I think it's valid to show because it is an important part of her journey that she's like learning to be into what I mean. I to me, it's pretty Stockholm syndrome me, but like learning to oh, be yeah, into definitely, yeah. what um, Khal Drogo wants and to learn how to give him what he wants. So even though it is very HBO-esque. I think that it also is that way in the books. So, and at least she's not 13. At least she's not 13. What a horrible thing to say. <laughs> what yeah. to, to have to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, my thing, just one little add-on, add-on to that with the eerie stuff is I think her like, these scenes where she like uses, I think it, it actually says in the text she used eerie or like she, she, she something like that. Um, and eerie says, oh no, you know, it's a great, honor or something for me to please the Khaleesi or something like that. It, it speaks to a problem that I have with Danny's character in general, which is her profiting from this from systems that she formally abolishes. So it's like, yeah, Eri te- is technically not her slave anymore. She could say no, and Danny would probably respect it, but she won't because she's been brought up and trained that way. And it's the same with, like, the Unsullied. Yeah, sure, she freed the Unsullied and technically gave them the choice to follow her or not, but where were they going to go? 
like yeah. she still she still takes it no, not not like actively takes advantage but she gets the advantage of their perspectivelessness mm-hmm. and their that comes from the slave trade so it's kind of like she has her cake and eats it too but in a really weird way because she still <laughs> uses say, this that stuff. was an interesting choice of a phrase yeah, she. Oh god, no! This, this is my like. This is my thing. This is why I like. I don't like those eerie scenes because it is weird that like she just uses this like servant like that. And then there's also the thing that she only ever does it when she thinks about her dead husband. So to me, it's it would even be hard to even think about it as bisexual because it's, it's to me seems just like like she wants like some sexual pleasure because she hasn't been banged in a long time because her husband's dead. Totally agree. In the same way that like when I've been in those situations where I'll kiss a man out of desperation, it doesn't change what my sexual orientation is. It just means I was drunk and desperate. But yeah. I'm also not like, like I, I think that, yeah, I, again, she, she is 13. So I'm not saying, yes, go have sex with whoever you want, no matter what the other person feels when you're 13. But I think she's also, she's still a child. She's not really, she doesn't have like the developed frontal lobes yet to be mm-hmm. thinking about like, Yes, this necess- maybe this isn't really fair to Eerie. Maybe I'm having my uh, cake and eating that pussy. I mean cake too. But um, but I think Danny's all... And I think, I can't remember for sure, but I think Danny's usually the one being eaten out and not vice versa, which again... Yeah, she's always the one being pleasure. She's right, never which like... makes it easier to picture a man in the position. Yes, but yeah, I, don't, yes, I personally yes. don't read her as bisexual because of the things you brought up. And so that's why I don't really mind her... Kind of her sex with women being erased from the show because it it I, again it was it's to yeah. me a weak point for george there would have been no good way to adapt that so. yeah and i think what it would george have been so is trying weird. to get across is like her loneliness and her desire for um for yeah. dario and for her dead husband but there are there are george there are other ways to depict that without he's like this i also thing. just think george is a little bit of a creepy sex pervert yes and he's like, a, he he's, is a definitely i mean he's a, he's a creepy about, sex pervert. he's writing all these sex scenes with a 13 year old girl like this yeah. is why this is a little death of the author going on. People say like, well, the, the like the, the scrapping of the age gap, uh, the, the the time gap, really screwed him up. But like he didn't have to have Cersei and Dario bang and dance with dragons. He could have just changed it, but he didn't. Cersei, so there it Cersei is. and Dario would have been interesting. But, oh yeah, but I mean, we, <laughs> we, we may get we may Dario, get in the, I am almost convinced we are going to get Cersei Euron. Not necessarily Cersei Euron sex, but they're going to team up because they're just they're a match made in heaven. If it was like, Book Euron, I'd be all for it. Book Euron, just right? like evil. Like he's Book sexy. Euron, if he's, if he's going to show up to Cersei and Cersei's like, I want to get revenge, I want to murder all these people, I want to blow up the Sept, I want to do this and that, Euron's going to be like, hell yeah, sounds great. He's already going to have... Let's not get into that. Okay, so yeah, I think we, he, we I covered think the... also has bigger fish to fry. But look, yes, oh, and we, he has associated water. Interesting uh, choice, but yeah. He's going he's gonna to use Cersei. He's not going to be like, oh, let's be partners and rule together. He's just going to... She's going to be a tool for him. Yeah. She's not. He, they're not going to be like equal partners or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we t- we covered the bisexuality stuff. We covered uh, our gay dads, Brendan and Jankon. Now let's get to another thing that I had problems with when I was sort of thinking about this episode, which is a lot of the people that are generally kind of accepted for being gay. There is this weird element of uh, it's never quite confirmed whether they're pedophiles or gay men. Which is true for Oberyn, because it's implied he had sex with his squire, who would have been like a fourteen-year-old. Uh, there is Lynn Corbray, who Peter says is he, like Peter says he provides him with boys, and then there's uh, Zarozo and Daxos, who is said to have beautiful boys walking around in his in his uh, giant mansion. So, like when when Daenerys, like a thirteen-year-old, says beautiful boys, does she mean 
newbile twinks? Or does she mean literal 12-year-olds? You know, it's not specified. And I think that vagueness really is like, I don't think that this is a case where an author should like muddy the waters. I think if you're going to make someone a nonce, make it pretty clear that they're a nonce. Don't have this weird like, oh, is he gay? Or is he a pedophile? Because that creates this like weird... It like co- confuses the two in, in a lot of people's heads. And that's classic. I mean, one of the most prominent homophobic tropes in media since the beginning of time is the conflation of gay men with pe- gay, like gay men. And pe- I mean, look at the Catholic Church. I mean, that's not a stereotype. That's reality. But like, I think there's a stereotype that, oh, men will join the Catholic Church so they can like indulge in their pedophilia, um, which speaks to what you're talking about, about people yeah. joining these celibate spaces to like I mean there are a lot of gay men who become priests right but not necessarily for those reasons but I think that yeah it's been one of the most damaging stereotypes in the beginning of time which is that gay men are just predatory um and that's absolutely I think this is where George's cis old white man thing is coming in um because for sure and that also goes into I think one of our next topics because another one in the books where so I don't for the another one the books where it's verging on discomfort for me is Renly and Loris because Loris. Oh yeah. I was going to talk about that as well. Loris is about 15 and then Renly's in his twenties. So, um, yeah, I I researched this and sorry, in the game of Thrones, Loris is 15 and Renly is 20, but they have known each other for quite some time. So the implication here is that they started being a thing when it was like, 13 18 or some creepy shit like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we can maybe use that as a way to dive into our favorite confirmed gays of thrones. <laughs> uh, again, this is this is my problem though. We have the confirmed the, the confirmed gays in the books. None of the gays are really like confirmed. No one ever says, "Hey, I am a homosexual," <laughs> because they don't have the words for it. Right? There are no confirmed gays in a Game of Thrones, really. But in the show, we saw them bang. Like Loras and Renly are gay, and also Loras and Renly in the show appear to be a lot closer in age. And if we're going to say, if I'm ever going to like do a, an episode about the sex scenes, I'm not going to talk about Danny Jogo because of that age difference. That's rape. The same applies to Renly and Loras. Like Renly is a, a nonce and not a gay guy because the only man we ever see him have sex with is like his squire who's 15. And that's not normal. I know there's this whole well at the time argument, but that doesn't really fly for me because there's a difference between saying, well, at the time it was regular practice to marry like very young women to men a man can be like in an arranged marriage with a 14 year old that doesn't mean he has that he's attracted to the 14 year old but for Renly to have a thing with Loras in a society where this is not an accepted thing means that there were there was actual emotion and for a 20 year old to be attracted in a sexual way to a 15 year old that is wrong in every timeline and in every point in history because there's a power imbalance there that is just creepy as fuck. Like, there is no, oh, at the time, it was different. 15-year-olds were always 15-year-olds with 15-year-old brains, and they shouldn't be groomed by adults. It's weird and creepy. Renly sucks. Thank you. Yes, so I think that one of the... I, will, I can't... I'm doing it. I'm giving D&D props. One thing that they did is <laughs> it's really good that they actually... Um, that they closed the age gap between them. And yes. I actually... So this morning, in preparation, we watched the... The, the Renly Laura scenes, and besides their first, which we'll discuss in more depth, they're fine. Actually, like they're fine. They clearly have a lot of affection for each other. Yeah. Um, they, I had issues with it that mostly stem from the first scene, which we'll talk more about. But um, and then Loris, only a whole lot, then Loris becomes a whole other mess as the show goes on. But um, but 
like, it's actually, I think, like, the decision to make them an explicitly gay couple wasn't necessarily a bad thing, actually. It's more the way they did it was negative. And when I say that, it's because, so, the shaving scene. So the way they're introduced <sighs> is just, you know, bros being bros is that... Bros shaving each other. As one does, which kind I, of... I do it all the time. Yeah, as one does. So <laughs> Loris is shaving Renly's chest, which makes no sense. Like, they could have just been lying in bed together, and that would have gotten the point across. So I don't know where that detail came he from. He wants that hairless... He wants that twink bod. <laughs> yes. But, like, basically... My issue with it is that during the scene, Loras basically convinces Renly to become king. And another important thing to point out is that show Renly is a thousand times more sympathetic. Like I just when I was rewatching, you see the oh, scene where he yeah. like goes up to some like peasant type dude and it's like seems really invested in his well being. And I'm like, no, no, he's not. Um, <laughs> so he's just way more sympathetic as a whole. So it's not his power lust that's driving him becoming king, as it is in the books. It's his twink lovers. And yes, so, it's the gay, it's the evil gay man. So that's what. Him. So what bothers me is that it links kind of their queerness to this idea of like corruption and like power, power thirst. Um, yes. which again, it, I think it, it's it fine. It introduces the idea that Loras only had like was involved with with Brenly as some kind of ploy by the Tyrells, right? To and get I, their whole thing going, right? And then I think, as I said earlier, be gay, do war crime. Gay people can be bad. That's fine. But it's kind of frustrating when the only like queer couple is besides Oberyn and Ilaria, who we'll talk about more. Um, they, the only queer couple is, is that a sigh of a, of a I think it's a, I think it's a sexy sigh. But, um, but I think <laughs> with, um, with Loris and Renly, it's kind of frustrating that the only, t- like they're, the way we see them connect is in like a search for power, which again is totally fine for gay couples to do. It's just annoying that's the only one. And there is another, yes. I want to give a shout out to my friend, Sam, um, he, on Twitter, he, he's under Sam of the Rainbow Guard. He has, I used to, I, okay, so I've always hated Renly. I'm a bit of a standard woman, but um, <laughs> Sam kind of changed yes. my mind um, about Renly. What Ren, oh, no. what Sam has talked about is kind of almost the, and this is on one of a podcast episode from Ian Thomas Malone, where she kind of says this as well, that Re, there's something about Renly deciding to be queer, deciding to be king. I don't, he, he was born this way, baby. He didn't decide. But um, the way he was deciding to be king, it's kind of that idea of like queer people, we were saying before, don't have a space in a society. So he's like, fuck it, I'm making a space for myself. And there's something kind of boldly queer in that. And so I do now kind of have an appreciation for that. But he is a clown. So linking his like clown mission to his being, directly linking it to his being gay because it was inspired by this gay shaving moment, to me, is iffy. But the rest I'm also of glad, scenes I'm fine with. I'm also glad that they didn't include the Rainbow Guard in the show because it would have come across as way, way too obvious. If they all yeah. run around with pride flags on their, on their like shoulders, that would have been ridiculous. Because you need that like in the books, especially in a clash. I can I I do not blame people who in Clash of Kings don't necessarily pick up on Renly and Loras being gay. If you're a superficial reader, you might not catch stuff like I'm going to pray. So Loras, please stay and pray with me. Everyone else, leave. Thanks. Okay, and then you get to like Feast for Crows where it's like, when the sun has set, no candle can replace it. And at that point, I'm like, okay. Okay, this is like some teenage angst love right He's here. John Conn Jr. right there. Pretty much. Even down to like the horrible disfigurement, potentially. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm surprised that you thought that Renly and Laura's scenes were fine because while I agree that it was definitely the right choice to change the age gap, because holy shit, that is creepy. Renly, you're a piece of shit. 
I thought what that really bugged me is that we never got a single scene in the show where it was just Loras and just Renly where they didn't bang each other. Yes, that's a good point. So I'm, I it's, guess it's, what I it's, meant it's, is that their like sex scenes weren't like super problematic, but I agree with you in that the way, and this speaks to Loras' characterization throughout the show, the way they're only sexual people. Yes. Is it is the, the perpetuation of the stereotype that gay men are like insanely promiscuous and will take any chance when they're like alone in a room to just bang each other. Uh, so that's kind of... They didn't really show them to be in a romantic relationship, I feel like. They only ever showed them in a sexual relationship. And then as soon as Renly died in the show, Loras is banging our own... Fr- our, 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 oh my God. Our old friend, Oliver. The choice Like then. literally, it takes like Westeros. one scene... Oliver walks up to Laura's like, hey. So, okay. You're pretty good with that sword. Cut to boom. Sex scene. So, this is, I agree. <laughs> I with, hate it. I a thousand percent agree with all of the criticisms of, like, reducing. I do think that Loras is, is reduced to the gay guy. Especially in the sense of the whole plot of him being imprisoned for being gay. Because I feel oh, like. Oh, yeah, that's the, another I thing. I feel like I call GOT the Tits and Dragons show. I feel like the Tits and Dragons show, that was their point. I feel like they were trying to make some sort of like woke statement and trying to be contemporary because as we know in the books, that doesn't happen. So I think they could have just had the Marjorie be arrested thing and that would have been fine. Like, I think they could have worked that out, but I think that they wanted to seem really woke and being like, here, we're going to like punish the gay guy. So I do really hate the way that he's reduced to his sexuality. And also I really get, I viscerally, on a visceral physical level, upset by his ending. Um, I cannot, I, despite it gotta being bury, one of the Gotta cra- bury those gays. Despite the craft fiction nature of pretty much all of it and how bad all of it is, I do really love the Winds of Winter episode, but I have to cover my eyes during the head carving part. Like when Marjorie, I think Natalie Dormer does a fantastic job when she says to High Sparrow, you mutilated him. Like the way she says it, I that hard like not only is he pu- basically punished for being gay he's fucking mutilated I it, it makes me sick and I actually get sick it, like I also I also don't like gore well that's ironic because I like I watch the show but something <laughs> about yeah. but something about that in particular it's, disfigure- it's, it's not that I don't like gore it's that something about disfigurement really gets to yeah me. and the fact that he is basically branded for being gay um is so deeply disturbing to me yeah, I, I again, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Show Loras. Uh, he was done dirty, and, and I mean, I don't like him in the books either. But in the books, he's such a much more complex character, and, and in the show, it's just he's the gay guy. Oh no, Renly's dead. How are we going to remind the, sh- the the show viewers that he's still the gay guy? Get our old friend Oliver in here. <laughs> he is he's always good for it. Speaking of Oliver. Of course, the other well, confirmed I did bisexual. Wanna, I did want to say one more thing about. Oh, Morris. okay, sorry. Yeah, because I forgot. This is what I was trying to get at before: is that I agree with all the criticisms, and yeah, yes, and and so I sometimes feel like some of the objections to his show character changes can be a bit puritanical. Like, so I like yes, that line about when the sun sets, etc., candle, all that stuff. It's beautiful, and I think that having that depiction of like this true deep romantic love is beautiful, even though it's not because it's pedophilia. But I think why that can't we have nice there, things, George? As I was saying earlier at John Con, there is such a push for this like wholesomeness and pureness in queer representation. Like, I mean, that's what the whole kink at pride discourse comes down to, which is like we need to desexualize ourselves in order to be accepted by the mainstream. And so that I don't think that having Loris like 
feel like his whole life is over because his pedophile lover is dead, like, makes him a worse person. Like, yes, they reduce him to his sexuality, so it would have been nice to see more of him outside of that. At the same time, I don't think, even though I think that the poetic nature of his undying love for Renly is just is more interesting than what was on the show, I also don't think that our gays have to be these, like, celibate like have these pledges to celibacy and like ro- and yeah monogamous that's like the other way to be when you, good rep good representation so like I think yeah when you portray like the sweater wearing like husbands with the mm-hmm. two adopted kids and oh uh, they play piano and everything's nice and we never kiss on screen that's all I mean I'm, I'm not saying and I know that you're not saying that that's what I'm saying uh but like we can have our gaze in our tv shows if 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 it's a show that is generally known for having gratuitous unnecessary sex scenes have them bang i don't give a shit have them bang it's fine just give them the same amount of romance that you gave to like egret and john egret and john had like one sex scene and they had a beautiful relationship and loris and renly in every scene that they were in they were either like eye fucking each other or they were actually fucking each other and as soon as renly was dead every scene loris is in it's either like oh oh, oh, look he's so uncomfortable because he has to talk to sansa a woman (laughs) you know it's like it's so stupid and, oh, I agree. I just think and, that. Yeah. I just. I yeah, agree. I, I agree with you. I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't show gay people have sex. Of course. Yeah. We no. Need... I just think that sometimes the flavor of oh, but he was only promiscuous after Renly died. It's wrong that he had sex with other people because it just makes him like promiscuous. It's a. It's. It's again. It kind of reminds me of the kink at pride thing of like we're not allowed. We have to defang our gays. And I like it goes back to a book I read recently that I adored. It's called The Well of Loneliness by Radcliffe Hall. It's from the 1920s. It's considered kind of the first major piece of lesbian fiction. But she very consciously, she was writing it for a mainstream audience. And she made a very concerted, her effort to prove that love, bet- like, love between women was holy and pure and actually superior to heterosexual love. And that like to basically show that like to make it as much as acceptable to the mainstream as possible like the idea of being a good gay like the gay who like is one is so committed to their partner which is ironic because Radcliffe, Radcliffe Hall herself was like wild like when she was dying on her deathbed um and with her lover around she was cheating on her lover with the nurse not helping her on her deathbed so but meanwhile <laughs> is but meanwhile what a she um well she was also like pro fascist so she's not a legend but I did love the book and oh. um the, but she very much was, and this has been such a major thing within the history of queer representation, is like, how do we make this palatable to the mainstream by showing that queer love is pure and like wholesome and all of that, and it's not sexualized. So like the only, in The Well of Loneliness, the only allusion to the idea of the characters having sex is that was one line which says, and then they became one. So, and this is in like a 400 page book. So, um, so I feel like sometimes the discourse around Loris can kind of veer in that direction and make me a bit uncomfortable. But I also, I see both sides of it. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, I see both sides of it. If the portrayal overall had been, had been better, it would have not been. There's also right, just the right. factor that there is a book that they're adapting. So it's the reduction of him that's really the problematic thing. And then speaking of that, we have Oberyn. Another case, another case of the, is he a nonce? Is he a gay? We don't really know. In the show, he's definitely gay. Because again, in every scene he's in, he either talks about how much he loves fucking dudes or he's fucking that one blonde guy that works for Littlefinger. Because that's what he does. That's all That's all we do. Yeah. It's, a, I, it's that thing again. I have very conflicted 
feelings that Oberyn on the show, and I'm going to put Ilaria into this too. One thing I loved is the Oberyn Ilaria relationship in this fiction. I love, yeah. I'm not really a polyamorous person myself, but I loved this depiction of a poly couple doing their thing. And like, who like, even though they had other lovers, you tell love each other so much. And I thought that that was actually a really positive portrayal of, po of a poly couple. And they're fucking hot. Like, oh, yeah. a, a, oh, yeah. what's her name? Um, Indira, Var in Indira Varma? Oof. That dress, it's like the J-Lo at the Grammys dress she wears when Oberyn dies. I can't. It, Michelle, I hate <laughs> Michelle Clapton, the costume designer, with every passion, but she snapped on that one. But, like, so, Alaria and Oberyn, I actually felt like were a really positive representation of, like, a bi-poly couple. And with Oberyn, I really loved, so at the time I watched the show, um, when I first watched it, I was, an, I was bisexual. Um, and I really loved actually exclusively because of fucking Nikolai Cos Nickelodeon Costco Waldbart because I it was I was like very close to like oh I think I'm actually lesbian and then I saw him and I was like then I guess not and then I feel, <laughs> and then it took another few years to stop not be attracted to men anymore but um but so anyways Oberyn I feel like the way he talks about his bisexuality is very empowering and really special like when he talks about like I just want to like un like explore everything I just want like I don't I'm not close-minded and I think that it resonated with a lot of queer people because of like his attitude and what a great even though yes in most of his scenes he's doing something sexual and gets reduced to that he also is a very in the show more than the books a cool person that you feel like you want to hang like more you get you get more of a sense of his personality than you do Loris's where you're just like yeah. this is someone I want to hang out with and he's bisexual and that's cool and it does bother me that it does perpetuate the slutty bisexual myth which again as it before we should let our gay characters have sex, that's great. But him being bisexual and so sexual, which is fine because he is and I am and lots of queer people are. Again, when when the characters who are the most sexualized are the queer ones, as on the Chits and Dragons show, that's when it's a problem. Yes. I think maybe I should give another example. One of my favorite representations of a gay character in any TV show is... Gustavo Fring from Breaking Bad. If you haven't seen it, I mean, I'm just going to give a little bit of... He's also in the prequel show Better Call Saul. He's the villain of the show, and he conducts himself in a way where it's almost like... I, th I think if you're straight, you don't pick up on it, but as a fellow gay, you look at him and like, Dude, Gustavo, are you... What's up, Gustavo? And But he, he's he's so... All about business, right? He never talks about his personal stuff. He's just a villain. He, he sells drugs. He kills people. He's totally evil, right? But then you get this this flashback scene where it shows him with his business partner, you know, his friend that he lives with in the city. <laughs> and they're talking to these mobsters and they, they shoot his partner. And he has such an emotional, like the acting, the reaction. It's just like, this is not just some some business relationship. And then in, in Better Call Saul, they really lean into this with like, he has this whole like, memorial fountain set up for for this guy and we get lines from from the villains in the show who like oh you know obviously Gustavo Fring he runs this chicken place called the chicken brothers los pollos hermanos and one of the like mexican gangsters refers to him uh, the restaurant as the butt brothers so it's like th this like really like they show okay these these douchebags are being homophobic they killed his his partner but it's it's never spelled out they never say it they never it's just, he just is gay and exists as a person in the show. And the reason why I like it that he never has, like, sex with anyone is because no one in that show ever has sex with anyone. They, like, 
barely Breaking Bad barely has any sex scenes. The only ones they have is to establish some kind of character dynamic thing, which you don't really need with Gustavo because like his the only person you kind of get the sense the only person he really ever cared about is dead. So he just leaned into I'm just going to be a murderer murder machine. So that's fine. But then with Game of Thrones, if it's a show where everyone just bangs for no reason, where the where the sex scenes aren't character driven, you gotta have your gays have some sex just to even out the odds. But they shouldn't be the only ones who like do it in every single scene they're in or talk about how much they love doing it. So that's kind of that whole thing. Right, right? because there's plenty of unnecessary sex scenes with straight characters, but there's not. Yeah. There's definitely not as many. And I think even it's funny that reminds me of John Connor talking about like he's like his lover dies and he's decided like I'm just gonna be bad. But um, I think you're, what you're speaking to is important, which is that there are ways to do this right. There are ways to depict, like, even including very sexual, like, sexual depictions. So I'm thinking now of a movie that was on Netflix. Um, it's called I Care A Lot. It is unabashed, modern, AU, girl boss, Cersei fan fiction. Like, literally <laughs> in the first minute of the movie, she says, I am a fucking lioness. And it's just played by Rosamund Pike, to, who is so Cersei. And it's, I had loved it. I loved it. Um, it's not a good movie, but I enjoyed it. Oh, and Tyr- Peter Dinklage is in it, so it's like, it's modern AU Cersei Tyrion fic. Anyways, that is to say, so the character she plays, Marla, is a horrible person, and um, she, she has a girlfriend. Um, her name's Fran, and they just have this relationship. Because one thing I don't like is when people are like, oh, I lo-, when straight people say this a lot, I love that this character is gay, but it's not like a part of their personality. I'm like, but it is parts of our personalities when we're gay. It is. I yeah. think with Marla and Fran did well is that they show their partnership and the depth of it. Like they really, like they are kind of, they're like, they are working on defrauding elders together, which sucks. But Marla is an essential like business partner for, um, Fran, I mean, is an essential business partner for Marla. And they also are lovers. They show them have set, make out and like be hot and heavy. So it shows that you can have a fully fleshed out queer relationship that is sexualized but not um like to- not in an exploitative way yeah and that yeah. also shows the relationship it also normalizes it in a way that isn't erasing the queerness yeah and here this is where something else come comes in which is a lot of people when shows do have queer sex scenes it's like oh why are they rubbing it rubbing it in our face kind of thing this is straight people not not gay people right so straight people will be like, oh, I get it. The character's gay. Why do they have to like show them bang? It makes no sense. And that's a whole other thing that we don't need to get into where it's like they never complain when they have needless boobs or, or anything like that, right? So yeah, it's just a nuanced thing. And let's move on because I don't think we have that much left. We still haven't talked about Melisandre, well, which I know more, you are very kind of, excited to talk about. I think that goes more into the Asha Yara thing. Asha Yara. So, oh yeah, we have to talk about Asha as a lesbian because she has a short haircut in the books. So yeah, so here's the thing. So Asha Yara, I'm just going to call her Asha Yara the same way I call G.O.T. By the way, sorry to interrupt you. Can we talk about how fucking dumb it is that they thought, okay, her name is Asha, right? People will confuse that with Osha. Let's change her name to Yara, which totally doesn't sound like any of the main characters' names, (coughs) Arya. Like, what? I mean, with them, there's always, you know, I actually don't. The thing (sighs) is, people are fucking stupid. So, like, I actually kind of get it because yeah, but people are stupid. wouldn't you always... If you're going to confuse Osha and Asha, isn't it just as likely that you're going to confuse Yara and Arya? I don't think as much. But I don't really sound as alike, but I see... What, I think that's a valid point. But I, I also don't get when people I've, think like that. I've, interact, yeah. Yeah, I've interacted with a lot of locals who only watch the show and don't know anyone's name. And, like, I've been to a lot of bad yeah. parties with family friends. And the, for that audience, they did need to do that. 
I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, and either kid, way, they don't. Kid. They don't. Locals don't know her name anyway. They're like the guy who has dicks got, got cut off, sister. Exactly. But so, as you were saying, Yara so is a lesbian. It, it's tough for me because Book Asha is my girlfriend. She, I have the biggest crush on her of anyone in the series. <laughs> I want to wife her. I want to wine her and dine her. However, I actually, as much as I would love her to be gay, I actually think it's quite cool that she is aggressively heterosexual because it goes to show that there it's basically works against the stereotype just because she has short hair and likes to fight and she also likes to fuck men and that happens and there are plenty of women who are femme like myself who do who quote unquote look straight and don't like masculine things but are aggressively gay so i kind of think it's actually as much as i would love her to be a gay for my just to have more gay characters in the books I think it's cool. They're disproving the stereotype. And then to me, it speaks to D&D's very narrow view of what womanhood is. That they're like, okay, we want to have a woman character be gay because we hashtag diversity. So let's have it be the one who's more masculine. And that, so again, I was like, that, at first when it happened, I was like, that I, I was watching with some friends who used to watch the show on a projector. I remember like, so, so it was really, really pumped. And I was like cheering. I was like, yes, because she's hot. Um, it probably also helped that she was having sex with Elaria. Well, that was later. The first was like, and this is the way. It was oh yeah, the done. first was in, when they were in Volantis, yeah. random so sex it, worker. The way, side and the way it's done is not great because she says she goes, she gestures the sex worker and she says, "I'm gonna fuck the tits off that one." So it's which like, is a George. This is like a George R. R. Martin level like cringe when it comes to a sex that's scene like line. That's a Tyrion line. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like again, that's them being like. Because she's masculine presenting, therefore she's gay, and therefore she thinks about women in a misogynistic way. So as much as I'm happy she is gay because like hashtag representation, I think it it's it just is reductive on D and D's part to be like let's make someone gay so it's gonna be this one. Yeah, pretty much. And then what about Melisandre? Well, and that's kind of what ties into it is that um this is a this would be a whole other episode, but. Uh, I very Part much, two coming soon. I read Melisandre as very queer in the books. I mean, talk when you talk about the wall and nice watch. She is um, when she's at the wall, she calls it a queer place, and her, her powers are stronger than ever. It also kind of speaks to the idea of like we can just make anyone gay if we want them to be. Why not? But um, but so yeah, I think because the way in which she enacts femininity and sexuality is very much something that I've experienced in my own lesbian experience like um so I used to be a stripper and I had this my little outfit that I wore was an all red lingerie thing and I would have dudes I have red hair so uh, for people who are only listening to this so I would have dudes come up to me and be like you're like the witch of game of thrones say the night is falling (laughs) no 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 no, I wish I was making this up so they would they would ask me oh man they would ask me they would ask me and I don't look did like they look I like do Stannis? not. I also don't. Well, that I did date a Stannis. But that's another cuss story. Um, I oh don't look. I'm not claiming I look like Carice and Houghton. God, I wish. But they would oh. ask me to do. They would say like, do the line. I'd be like, the night is dark and full of terrors. And be like, yeah, and I would get like paid for that. So, um, <laughs> that's, so a, that's amazing. So the thing is that <laughs> the way, and this is very different. So the show and the book are very different. So actually, the way her sexuality on in the show initially, it's funny. She's always my favorite character along with Cersei. I felt very represented when she came on screen because the way in which she kind of 
on the show uses sexuality to like get things from men that she needs to mm. me read actually as very queer because i've myself and a lot of queer women have done it like it's very clear to me that she doesn't get pleasure out of it and that it's all for yeah. a utilitarian purpose because um in both books and show and then in the books so I actually now, I hate her sex scenes on the show now, even though that used to be what I liked about her, about her being like aggressively sexual and feminine, because you just don't really see that a lot in the media. And so I appreciated seeing that. Um, so I really liked that at first. And then when I realized she's so not sexualized in the books, I really started hating it because it shows how she only is a prop for male, men's plots on the show. But in mm. the books, we really have no way of saying that she's either straight or gay. Like people could say to me, well, why do you read her as gay? And I'd be like, well, because she doesn't have any sexual desire towards anyone. So there's no way to read her. Like, yes, she has sex for Stannis for a very specific utilitarian purpose to make a shadow baby. It's not like... There's a line about yeah. that Stannis... Like, there's Stannis wasn't there to keep her bed warm. But firstly, who believes that motherfucker's body was ever warm? So... She, was, he, she's like, she has, like, a self-heating system. She doesn't need yes. a warm bed. Exactly. So, like, she... She does never, she really never expresses any type of affection to him. And she's very removed from like a sexual realm. And she just reminds me a lot of like, I remember going on a date once with someone who said to me, she's like, you're a very 90s lesbian. I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, you know, someone who'd be like selling potions at Lilith Fair. And if, for those of you who are young, Lilith Fair is this 90s like feminist music festival. Um, so I'm like, that's totally true. And that's also totally Melisandre. So she's, and there's a lot of women out there like me. She, I think she represents a type of like queer fem womanhood, like the dark witchy type, like the one that like, isn't like worship Stevie Nicks. So, yeah. um, the thing is, so I'm like, okay, if we could have like just made a woman queer, you have Asha, Asha Yara, who like has pleasure in sex with men and you made her gay because she's masculine. And then you have characters like Melisandre who don't who can be read as queer because they don't have feelings towards men and like it could have yeah. been cool to have like that type of representation however because she was already a sexual fetish object in the show instead of a character it would have further created her as it otherized her and made her more of like a sexual fetish object rather than it would be like yeah. oh like the hot girl with the giant boobs also is like she's also like fucks girls and that's hot like with, with melisandre it really her scenes really like just made me feel uncomfortable because it was so obvious that the writers were just like grasping at straws for an excuse to have Carice Van Hout take her boobs out. And it's tough because there's the, um, you know, I, I am also a lesbian, so she does have like the most perfect breasts I've ever seen, honestly. I mean, yeah, great breasts. Yeah, I'm and, like I'm just up from I'm objective a... scientific. So, but like, yeah, it's it's really she was so and it's what's really sucks is i'm a bit of a carice van Houten stan so i've watched like all of her movies even hard to find dutch stuff and she's so talented and the fact that they only scratch the surface to just sexualize her is really sucks and but um mm. but i just again because i read melisandre's queer i do very much read her as queer in the books based on a, a lot of stuff that's too much to go into but um in terms of like signifiers and like just if you know you know like when you're a femme dyke you just kind of like can see it um but so yeah, on the one hand, I'm like, it would have been cool to have a character like that be queer, and but I don't trust the show to ever portray that in a way that wasn't just fetishizing it in the same way they had Asha go, I'm gonna fuck the tits off that one in the way, which is kind of how they probably expect a quote-unquote more masculine presenting queer woman to act. Maybe they, maybe they would have had Asha fuck Clarice from Houghton's tits off. I would have, 
Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I would have loved to see that. I would have loved to see that, <laughs> but like in a different universe, like not a in different the context universe, of but... the show. Like because the show just would have pissed me off. Like not those characters. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. It's so it just in terms of the Oscar representation, it's tough because also, and here's actually I think a really good example of how they could have done it right is that her and Daenerys when they met on the show had the greatest chemistry. Daenerys had so much more chemistry with Asha Yara than she ever did with any man, including her cousin. By far, like, more than her cousin. So, I'm like, Stormjoy, which is, like, the official ship name. Stormjoy was everything. That one scene, and even I remember Amelia Clark in an interview said that she wanted them to hook up. So I think that, like, you can see, like, they actually maybe could have had, I mean, they couldn't have for the sake of the plot, they needed to do what they had to do, but, like, an Yara asha Danny relationship would have been a really cool if it was done well would have been a really cool example of yeah. a queer love story or even if they didn't, weren't in love they had sex it would have been cool because you have Daenerys who they could have that could have been a way to make Daenerys bisexual in a way that wasn't icky as well yeah that's pretty good so we we have reached the one and a half hour mark and we can't it's pretty I think we covered everything so far I think if we're going to summarize this debate concerning gay representation in the books it's why can't we have nice things george <laughs> why do you have to every single time you have to just throw something in that makes it weird and just iffy enough where you have to add like 15 caveats before you can be like i love satin and i also acknowledge that he was racist and a sex worker so even if he was straight he was blah, blah. But, you know it's just stuff like that or like oh elf and gareth gareth so great of course heterosexual men can also have it's just you know can we just get... I mean, that's John Connington, right? We have him. We can always hold on to John Connington. And the no one can take that away from us. John Gay Iconnington. Yes. Uh, and then in the show, yeah, they just they just kind of dropped the ball. It, was, it wasn't very good. Uh, and that is what you have when, you, when, you're sh- when your writer, writer's room consists of two cis-head white men who've never written a TV show before. Like, what, what did we expect from this? Not some groundbreaking progressive anything so yeah just get a writer's room that's the lesson from today right and (laughs) Um, i think also a thing is like yes you can't expect better from them at the same time they like they did try to shoehorn these things in they did actively mm. try to make the lenly the lenly i guess you could call it that the lenly relationship a more of a thing they did try to add some sort of like activist angle about gays being persecuted for their sexuality so if you're gonna do that you have to do it well and they didn't they did not. And it's also like the most popular show in the world. You have more of an obligation. Like they show ugh, this is a bad example, but apparently, like because again, you're saying there's no nothing about caveats. Um, yeah, they were going to have Septuagenella get raped on screen by the mountain because everyone was clamoring to see that. Of course. But then they um, instead they're like, oh, the response to the Sansa rape was bad, so we're not going to show it. We're going to we're going to torture you through waterboarding, but we're not going to show rape. So it shows like they did have some pulse on the discourse, but I just don't think these are people who are capable of writing, I mean, just nuanced characters, period, but especially yeah. nuanced characters. But when you're having people who can't really write well to begin with, they're not going to do a good job writing gay stuff either, is the lesson. That is the lesson. So yeah, and just, I guess to round this up, we should say both the books and the show obviously present us with plenty of queer characters to like look at and if you identify of any with any of them and see yourself in them and think some characters queer or not queer have a different interpretation all of that it's perfectly valid don't let the two of us ruin that for you <laughs> uh definitely not let, don't let me let, let that ruin that for you um 
And uh, George R. Martin probably still doing a better job than most. I, I feel like I always say this when talking about George R. Martin. It's like, it's problematic, but also head and shoulders above most of what we find in, in fantasy genre. So it's like, ah, okay. But yeah, so that kind of sums it up. Pride Month, gay stuff. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me remind you once more. My friend Collier has a GoFundMe. You can find it down in the description. You can probably find it underneath the tweet. That is like when I tweet this episode out. Uh, give money. The best way you can be, if you're a cis person and you want to be an ally to the trans community, shut your face and give them your money. Um, that is the lesson from today. That is my message. And uh, Rohan, please tell the people where they can find you. Okay, so I don't, my Twitter account is not about the series in particular, but that's Cyril Woodcock. And then my my stuff that is supposed to be about the series, if you want good gay writing, my um thing, hmm. my writing is I've written a lot of gay stuff at, if you go on the website, Archive of Our Own, my username is shocker, terrible in red, shocker. Um, but um, that if you want good he- gay headcanon shit, it's all there. But yes, um, and I will donate to your friends GoFundMe right after we wrap up. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. Let Rohan be an example to you, dear listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next episode when probably I will be ranking all of those cringe uh, sex scenes. Actually, Collier, my friend, might even be the guest for that episode. So, wow. Uh, so wouldn't it be great if we if we actually got that GoFundMe really like going and all that stuff? But, you know, I, always, I always ramble too much at the end of these episodes. These people are done. It's done. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at, at Yogi98. You can find the podcast at Through the Moon Door on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those other things, not on Podbean, because I just I can't be bothered. And <laughs> it's also on YouTube, Through the Moon Door, Moon Door Two Words, just like in the books. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode. Goodbye.